good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for worship. We've got some more folks here coming in. We're glad to be able to have the opportunity to worship with you today. Thank you for joining us here at Flagstone, our worship center. Those of you joining us online, thank you for being a part of our worship as well. We're glad to have you this morning. It's a beautiful day outside. It's going to be an awesome day in here. I'm glad that you chose to worship with us today. A few things to let you know about uh, for those of you who are here in the worship center with us. Before we start with our worship this morning, first of all, in every other chair, we have uh, what we call our bulletins, and we'd like for every family uh, to take one of these. If you haven't done this yet, make sure you pick one up today. Uh, there's an area on the back for sermon notes or any other kind of notes, and maybe you meet somebody and want to jot down their contact information, you can use that for that. And then on the inside, there's a lot of different things listed here. There are a lot of different activities that are going on with our church family. We want you to know about those things, put them on your calendars, invite other people to be a part of those things as well. So make sure that you get a bulletin today, and uh, especially if you're one of our guests with us. If this is your first or maybe your second time here, or maybe you've been here a few times, just never took the time to do this yet, we'd like for you to click on this QR code up here in the top right corner, and that will bring up a, phone, a, a form on your phone uh, that will just allow you to give us some of your contact information. won't take you very long to fill that out, just take a few seconds. Uh, but we appreciate you taking the time to do that, if you would, so that we can know who you are and maybe even give you the opportunity to ask some questions, find out more about our church family. Uh, so if you would take the time to do that this morning, we would really appreciate that. Another thing I need to let you know about is that we will be taking communion together today. And when that time comes, we'll have some thoughts and a prayer uh, for, for our communion time. And, when, and you should have a communion cup uh, on your chair when you sat down this morning that should have been there. And so when we take communion together, we'll have a prayer for the bread You'll peel off the first lid and uh, eat the wafer that's there, and then we'll have another prayer for the juice, and we'll peel off the second lid and drink the juice, and that's how we'll take communion together. So why don't you be aware of that uh, when that time comes. And the other thing that I want to let you know about is our kids' ministry. If you got kids with you this morning, we're so glad you chose to bring them with you. And we have uh, child, care, child care available during our worship this morning. For all of our third grade and younger, all the way down to our little babies, if you need uh, to take advantage of that, you can take your kids across our lobby to the Children's Center and check them in at any time this morning. We have volunteers that are ready to take care of them with uh, activities and, and Bible stories and snacks while you continue to worship in here with us. So feel free to take advantage of that. That's something that you need to do. If you want to keep your kids with you, you're more than welcome to do that. If it would help, uh, we have activity bags available uh, in our lobby, and you can just go right out the doors, right across the lobby, and we have uh, some bags with coloring sheets and other activities uh, in there for kids while you continue to worship with us. So feel free to take advantage of that if that's something that would help your family this morning. I think that's all I need to share with you before we start our worship time today. I'm so glad, as I've already said, to be able to worship with you today. Our praise team is going to lead us in songs together, and we're going to have an awesome opportunity to lift our God in praise and worship. We're going to spend time with the Word today. We're going to take communion together today. We're going to connect with each other today. And I have already prayed and continue to pray during our worship that God will just bless us by being here and being a part of our worship this morning. So let's, let's start out with that. Let's ask God to bless our time of worship, and then let's begin praising Him together. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you so much, God, for uh, all the things that you've done for us this week, the things that we, that we asked for, and you fulfilled those things, maybe even the things that we were hoping that, um, would happen and, and you had a different plan. We thank you for that, God, and we thank you for even doing things that we weren't aware of and we haven't paid enough attention to. You are such a good father and you look out for us in so many ways and we're so thankful for the opportunity to worship you today. God, I pray that uh, we would focus on you this morning, that we would tune everything else out that would distract us 
from hearing your voice and from uh, seeing the direction that you're leading us this morning. And God, especially I pray for those uh, who are part of our worship, either here in this room or even online with us, who are dealing with some kind of burdens today. And maybe it's they're worried about a family member. Maybe they have some health issues, maybe some emotional issues, maybe some spiritual issues, God. And, and we pray for healing. We pray for your presence to be felt in their lives this morning, today. And we pray for open eyes as a church family to see how we can help uh, relieve some of those burdens. So, God, we, we give this morning to you. We ask that your name is, not, is, is glorified and that everything we do brings, brings honor to you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, Flagstone. Hey, everybody on your feet. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. There is no other name. No name by which we're saved. There is no other name but Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. There is no other name. No name by which we say. There is no other name but Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow at his name. Every knee shall bow at his name. Every knee shall bow at his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. It's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes, bless the His holy name. 
sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all
I really love communion time. It's really a special time, and uh, it's inspired by a supper that Jesus invited his disciples and closest friends to, and he said, uh, do this with me. And, you know, the first four books of the New Testament, each one of the writers that wrote a little biography about Jesus talked about this supper. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke spent about a dozen or two dozen verses talking about this Lord's Supper. But John who is Jesus' favorite, closest friend, is the one that wrote more about it. And when John wrote his biography about Jesus, he was an old man. And he had about 40 years to think about what he was going to write about Jesus. He may have been in his 80s. And did you know that John spent about a fourth of his entire book in the upper room with Jesus about this supper. And you can find it in John starting in chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17. John's focus was just on what we're doing now. That's pretty amazing to me. And so part of the story is that it's Passover time, which for us is um, the Friday before Easter. And then for the Jews, it was the next week, all the way through the next Saturday. So this tradition had been going on in the Jewish culture for about 2,000 years. There had been about 2,000 Passovers. And Jesus, in his memory, as a Jewish boy and young man growing up, had experienced about 30 of these feasts. And he was inviting his friends, let's go up and have Passover. And they thought they were going to repeat what they were familiar with about a Passover meal. But Jesus kind of hijacked Passover. And he made it his own. And an interesting thing about that is, at the original Passover, Moses was talking to the entire nation of Israel and he said, God has a message for you, and I'm his messenger. And he was talking to maybe a couple million people, like maybe half the population of the state of Arkansas, if you can believe that, before they were about to embark on their big walk. Jesus was in a little room with a handful of people maybe 15, 20, 30 people in that room. And John recounts for us how that Jesus went around the room person by person and talked to each of those people. So Jesus' message was not Moses' message. Moses' message was, I'm speaking for God, and we're setting up a new tradition here, and it's a look-back tradition it says, God delivered us 
from the death angel, and we're going to remember this forever. Okay? There was no forward looking. It was all backward looking. It was honoring God, but there was no future promise. It was really backward looking. Jesus turned that on, his, on its ear, and he, it was intimate, and it was personal. And it's like he took each person's face in his hands and said, I'm not God's messenger. I am God. And I'm looking you right in the eye, and I'm saying, you're my person. We're going to eat this meal now, and we're going to eat it again when you're in my kingdom anew. So a lot of people call this the Last Supper. I think of it as the next to Last Supper. Jesus told us to do a lot of things. He said, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the lonely and the prisoners, take care of the widows and orphans. But you know, after we stop counting time on this earth, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to be called to do that in heaven. We're going to do this meal with Jesus in, in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful for the institution of Passover, that it can be kind of a context for the Lord's Supper that was so much more personal, so much more intimate, so forward-looking, still honoring you and looking backward to your provision, but looking forward to your even greater provision. We're thankful that you and Jesus had this plan and he was willing to give his body that we use this little figure of a, a piece of bread to represent his body. We gladly take it and we're thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.
Another thing I think is really interesting in contrast between this Lord's Supper and the Passover was the Passover was really complicated and it had 19 steps you had to go through and choreography and menu items and it took a year in preparation and it wasn't for everybody. It was designed for Jews, for cultural Jews. And you know the Jews then and the Jews now are not inherently evangelistic. There's no Jews knocking on your door asking you to become a Jew. And historically, Jews accepted outsiders into their religion and into their culture if you were basically begging your way in and would meet all the criteria that it took to become a Jew. Jesus instituted the Passover as an invitation for every person. And it was a simple little meal. And that's why we have this simple little thing that's consistent for us week after week. And so regardless of your culture, regardless of your location, you don't have to raise a lamb and butcher it you know, on Easter weekend, you don't have to do that. You just have to have a piece of unleavened bread. And we have this little cracker. And somebody in the world could call it a tortilla, a chip, a pita. Any number of things can represent Jesus' body. And this grape juice, grape juice or wine of some kind is available everywhere man lives on earth. So this is a powerful, powerful message of invitation and acceptance, availability, and simplicity. And it just underscores that God would have all men come to him. And Jesus, next to Last Supper, all men are invited to. All women are invited to. That's, that's such a, a sweetness of God's plan. God, we're thankful to you for the provision that is so wonderful, so awesome, and so different from the message that you had for the Jews. And all we are is grateful. We take this juice today as it reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed the blood sacrifice that had to be continually offered in the Jewish culture week after week after week after week for 2,000 years. And then Jesus hung on the cross willingly and shed his blood to cover for the sin of man for all time before and after his crucifixion. We can only be thankful in Jesus' name. Amen.
was a student at Harding University a long time ago. There was the, they have these um, groups at, at Harding that they call social clubs, similar to sororities and fraternities that you see at, at state colleges. And, and uh, the, you know, all these different clubs will have different activities, uh, different functions, different, you know, things that they do. And uh, usually for a lot of those things, like let's say it's a hayride or it's some kind of a banquet or something, a lot of those, those clubs will, will make t-shirts to commemorate that event. And if you invite a date to go to this particular event with you, uh, you know, they get a t-shirt as well for being a part of that particular thing. And uh, the club that I was in, I don't know if they still do this or not, because again, this is a long time ago, but we would have what we call a spring banquet every year. We get dressed up, we go somewhere, invite dates and go somewhere and, and and have this nice banquet together. But instead of t-shirts, we just left it up to all the guys in the club. You just provided your own, what we call banquet favors, just some kind of gift to give um, your date. You know, it was on you. And, uh, you know, after my first year there, 
uh, Hardy and I found out that, that um, you know, there's awards that, that we would give for the most creative. So, uh, you know, I tried different things over the years, but, but I think one of the best uh, was when Christy and I were, were first dating, and I invited her to the spring banquet, and um, I went ahead of time to Goodwill and bought a couch, because you can get really, really cheap pieces of furniture at Goodwill sometimes, and I bought a couch, and I painted it blue, because that was the colors of our, of our jersey, of our club, and I painted it blue and painted our names on it and all that kind of stuff, and that was what I had waiting for her at the banquet hall when we showed up, you know, and, you know, dressed up and everything, and here you go, thanks for coming, it's a couch, you know, and I mean, she, I, I think she thought it was great, or at least kind of funny. I don't know. You can ask her what she thought about it. Um, but now we got this couch, and, we, you know, now what do I do with it? I mean, I gave it to her, and what do we do with it now? Well, Christy lived in Searcy, which is, when, which is uh, where Harding University is, is located, and so we just thought, well, we'll just take it over to, you know, her, her house, her parents' house, and, you know, her bedroom. I, there, was, there was room for it in, in that bedroom, and I thought, well, we'll just take it over there. We'll just take it to her bedroom, and so we drive over to her house, and we're unloading this, this couch, and we're carrying it through the house. We get all the way back to her bedroom, and it was kind of a, we're, we, we set it down in the hallway because we kind of had to figure out how we're going to wedge this thing around the corner to get into the room, to put it in her bedroom. And about that time, her parents come home. And her mom comes walking back, and she sees this blue, this hand-painted blue couch sitting in the middle of the hallway. And she's like, what's going on? We're like, oh, we're going to put this, you know, in Christy's room. And, and her mom's like, um, you know, let's do some measuring and some thinking about that first, and maybe, maybe we'll just put it in the garage for now until we decide exactly, you know, uh, exactly where this is going to need to go, which was a really nice and subtle way of her going, this is not going in my house. <laughs> now, I share that story with you because me and Christy's mom were on completely separate pages as to what needed to happen with this couch. I thought it was a wonderful piece of decor. Why would you not want it in your house? I mean, it's hand-painted. It's got her daughter's name on it. I mean, who wouldn't want that in their home? She was not on the same page as me. Her thought was, why in the world would I want this ugly piece of furniture in my home? We were on completely different wavelengths, completely different pages. Now, I, I, I tell you that story because I'm guessing that there's a lot of different circumstances in our lives where we are just, we have a different perspective than somebody else, and we're just not on, we're not on the same page. And, and it may not have anything to do with furniture, although I would imagine if you've been married for a while and you have bought furniture for the house, there have been discussions sometimes about getting on the same page as far as where things go. Uh, in your office places, there, you, you have to make decisions sometimes about, you know, we're going to do this project, or we're going to get this done by this time, or this is the way we're going to approach this particular thing. And somebody else has a completely different set of ideas, and you got to figure out how to, how to merge those things together. And I want you to be thinking about times where you have a certain perspective. You have maybe a goal. Maybe you have an expectation in mind, and, and somebody else has either the exact opposite or at least it's not the same one as yours. And, and you got to figure out, what are we going to do about that? Because we're not on the same page. And once you think about that, as we, as, we, as we get back into this series that we started a couple weeks ago, it's complicated. And we're talking about times when, when we're in a dating relationship or maybe even looking at our, at our marriages and, and recognizing that there's things that, 
Maybe, maybe are making it unhealthy right now. Maybe it's maybe we're struggling in that particular relationship, and maybe we can't even we we can't even find the words to describe or define. We just know something's not what it should be, and we're not ready to just walk away and just give up on it. But but to fix it, to do something about it, just is going to be complicated. It's going to be difficult. There's things that that we can e- sometimes even see. This is the issue, but we don't know how to fix it. We don't know how to share that with the other person we're in this relationship with, and it just gets frustrating. It gets confusing. It gets complicated. And we talked last week specifically about about communication and about just how we talk with each other in this relationship and how to do that in a healthy way. Or maybe sometimes we have complete lack of communication. And because we're struggling with, with sharing and with opening up and with talking in this particular relationship, there's frustration, there's confusion, it feels complicated. And if you missed that discussion last week, I would invite you to go back on our YouTube channel or, or our Facebook page and find that sermon from last week, Complicated Communication. Look at some of the things we talked about, how we can improve our communication, our relationships. But today I want to focus on those times when, when two people in a relationship seem to have either different priorities or different ways of handling problems or just don't see things from the same perspective. And we're just going to call it they're just not on the same page. Just not on the same page. And to be clear, there's going to be differences in any relationship. There's going to be different perspectives. There's going to be different ways of looking at things. you got two people with their own individual senses of identity, their own personalities, their own, their own personal experiences, and, and those two people are now trying to c- connect with each other. There's going to be some differences of opinion. There's going to be some differences of perspective. And sometimes those two people are just not going to be on the same page. But healthy relationships are the ones where, where those two people are, are aware of that. They're aware of the differences. They're, they're aware of, of maybe where some of those struggles are coming from. And they choose to work through those things and, and not allow those things to become divisive. And when we're talking this morning about two people who are not on the same page, I, we might even have differences of opinion on how we define that. On how we define this this dating couple or this married couple not being on the same page. And and maybe the way that I would define that is even different than the way you would. I mean, there's been multiple uh, people that I've talked to over the years in ministry who have said, you know, this person I'm dating right now, we're just not clicking. We're just not on the same page. I've heard spouses say that. We're just, we're frustrated because we just, we can't seem to to work together. We, We We've got different priorities. We've got different views. We're not on the same page. And, and what I'm defining it as this morning is, is two people who are allowing their different perspectives, their different methods of, of handling certain situations, whatever they are, the people are allowing those things and those differences to cause a rift between the two of them. And so what I wanted to talk about, first of all, is just what causes that? What causes the division? What causes these two people in this relationship? Maybe they've been dating for a while, or, or maybe they've been uh, married for a while, but they're struggling to connect with each other. They're struggling to be on the same page with each other. And I don't necessarily want to spend time this morning talking about what areas of their lives they're, on, they're not on the same page, because that would be a really, really long list. We can be on different pages when it comes to, to finances, to how we're raising kids, to 
where we're going to live to what we're going to eat for lunch as soon as church is over. There's a lot of different things we can be on different pages on, right? But what causes us, what causes two people in a relationship to allow those things to start to come between them and make things frustrating and make things confusing? Confusing, what, what, what causes that? And I think one of the first things, actually, we talked about last week. Now, I'm going to spend time on it this morning because we spent so much time on it last week. But communication is a big part of that. Not being able to, to talk to each other, not being able to, to share with each other about what they see from different perspectives. And, and sometimes even just shutting down and not talking at all, that causes two people to not feel like they're on the same page. So again, I would invite you to go back and listen to what we, what we shared last week in talking about communication. Another reason that we might not be on the same page is because of our past. What kind of upbringing did we have? What kind of marriages were modeled for us? What do we see growing up from our parents? And maybe, you know, a second marriage, a step-parents. What do we see modeled for us? Past dating experiences, whatever it was like when I dated some other person before I dated you. That's going to have an impact on how I see things in this relationship. Maybe even a previous marriage. Maybe this isn't my first marriage. And there's some things that happen in these relationships before that are affecting how I view this relationship now. And whatever it is, it's, it, it, it becomes baggage, as we've talked about. It becomes something else that I'm, some past experiences that I'm bringing into this current relationship. I mean, there's, when I, when I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things that I do is give them a list of, of just household chores and just have them go through the list. Before, this is before they get married. And just go through the list. And the first, on, on one side of the page, they have to list who did that particular chore in the house that they grew up in. So who did the dishes? Who did the laundry? Who dressed the kids? Who paid the bills? Who did the yard work? You know, just a whole bunch of different things like that. And just to know, just for them to, to pay attention to realize who did those things, what was modeled for them in the home that they grew up in. But then the other side of the page is, what's your expectation for this marriage? Who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to do the yard work? And a lot of times, those two people are, are fairly close, you know, on the same page. But there's sometimes, it's actually kind of entertaining sometimes, where somebody says, oh, that's her job. Oh, really? I didn't know that was my job. You know, and, and just, you know, you got to kind of discuss those kind of things. But part of the reason that there's a difference there is because of their past. What was modeled for me in the, in the home that I grew up in? What kind of, what kind of actions and what kind of, how do we handle these situations in a relationship that I was in before? I'm bringing those past experiences into this present relationship. And because of that, sometimes it gets me on a different page than this person that I'm in this relationship with now. Does that make sense? Now, I allow my past experiences to have an impact and maybe even dictate my current actions. I either want those things in this relationship or I was so put off by what happened in, in the past that I definitely don't want those things in, in this current relationship. And whatever it is, if both of us in this relationship are bringing our past into it and we're not aware of that for ourselves, we're not aware of those things you know, in the other person, it's going to have a big impact on how we deal with different circumstances in this relationship. Another reason we may not be on the same page is because we have different expectations. It's, this is kind of similar to our past, but, but a little bit different. And what I mean when I'm talking about our expectations, you know, what are my own personal expectations? What are my goals in life? 
What are, what are the things that I'm trying to accomplish? What are the things that I want to get done while, while I'm here on this earth? And then if, if I narrow that down to just this relationship, what are my goals for this relationship? What are the things that are important to me that I want to be important to both of us? How do I expect to make those things happen? What are the things that I'm expecting from you in this relationship? And what are the things that I'm expecting to do for you? And what are the, what are the priorities that you have that might be different than mine? I mean, if it's a date relationship, or is this, is this just kind of a short-term thing? We're just having fun? Or is this going to be something longer? What are our career goals? Do we want kids? How many kids? How many genders of kids? I mean, what are we going to do with the kids? Where are we going to live? If we get married, what kind of, who's going to do what chores? How are we going to handle finances? What are we going to spend our money on? What are we going to make sure not to spend our money on? Where are we going to travel? How much are we going to spend on those kinds of things? What are we going to do about our in-laws? Where are we going to go to church? What are we going to do at church? What do we do with our free time? What if what you like to do for your free time is nothing anywhere near what I want to do in my free time? What's our diet going to look like? Are we going to exercise together or are we going to pretend that we exercise and not actually exercise? <laughs> How much time am I going to spend with my friends and not with you? What's our expectations? What about our sex life? What do I like? How often are we going to have it? How often do we need to just spend time together? What's your expectation of just us tuning everything else out, us just spending time alone? Or do you even have that expectation? You see where I'm going here? Lots of different expectations that maybe I haven't even defined for myself, much less found out from you what your expectations are. And those expectations can be impacted by my past. They can be determined by my personal values. There's all sorts of things that, that, can, that can contribute to those things. But it's the things that are important to me, and it's the things that I'm expecting out of this relationship that I'm expecting to do or have done for me. And if we both have our own set of expectations, but we haven't really paid attention to those things in ourselves or from the other person, it's going to make things confusing. It's going to make things complicated. Maybe it's, maybe it's just the needs that I have that are, that are causing problems, that are causing us to not be on the same page. I mean, we all have basic physical needs, right? We need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need clothing. Everybody needs those things. We all have basic emotional needs. Every single one of, one of us needs to feel loved. We need to feel connected to somebody. We need to have a sense of belonging. We need to feel safe. We need to have a sense of security. We all have um, emotional needs. And just kind of as a side note, we all have spiritual needs, whether some of us want to acknowledge that or not. But we all have a need to be loved and to be accepted and to be forgiven and to live in freedom and to be set free from guilt. We have those needs. So we all have these different kinds of needs already as part of our DNA, as part of what makes us us. Now, back in the 1980s, a guy named Dr. William Harley wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs, and it's been updated multiple times since then. But in that, Dr. Harley did a lot of research, did a lot of interviews with a lot of different couples, and he came up with a list of five basic needs for husbands and five basic needs for wives. And these are the needs that, that most of these men and women have in common 
when it comes to their marriage. This is what I need in this marriage relationship. Okay, and for husbands, the, the five most common needs were sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship. He wants to have somebody that, that likes to do the things that he likes to do along with him. An attractive spouse doesn't have to be a beauty queen, but somebody that just takes care of herself. Um, domestic support wants things to be, you know, just a, a good home environment to be a part of. Admiration. I don't want to be talked down to or talked bad about in front of the kids or in front of other people. I want my spouse, I want my wife to admire me and to think that I'm a good man and to tell me that every once in a while. For wives, the most common needs were a need for affection. I need, I need to feel some tenderness. I need to feel that, that they care about me. I need some kind of token of affection on a regular basis. Conversation. Talk to me. Engage with me. And as a part of that, openness and honesty. Even if I'm not going to like what it is you have to say, I want you to be genuine. I want you to be real. And I want you to be sincere. Financial security. That doesn't mean that wives inherently want the biggest house and the, and the biggest paycheck and the biggest bank account. They want to make sure that the lights are going to stay on. And that there's going to be enough to buy groceries every week. And that we don't have to worry about those things and have those things hanging over our heads. And then family commitment. They want husbands who are committed to the family, committed to spending time. Jobs are important. Other things may be important, but this family means something to my spouse. And those are some of the basic needs that Dr. Harley said wives and husbands need from each other. And whether you agree with that list or not, whether you agree with all of those things or not, just my personal opinion, I think they're pretty accurate. But whether you agree with all of them or not, it's important to acknowledge that there are needs that I have that are ingrained into me. They're, they're part of what makes me, me. And the same thing for you. And if this person that I'm dating, if, this, if, if my spouse isn't meeting those needs for me, and if I'm not making any effort to meet those needs for them, then I'm going to feel like we're not on the same page. I'm going to feel like there's a disconnection there. And I'm going to feel like you don't care. And it's going to get confusing. It's going to get frustrating. It's going to get complicated. And these are just some of the things that we can that we can look at and go, this is why, this is why I feel disconnected from this person I'm in this relationship with. Because I haven't paid attention to my past, or I haven't paid attention to theirs. Because I have expectations for myself and for this relationship, and they don't match up with theirs. Because I have needs that aren't getting met, or I'm not taking the time to meet theirs. And maybe you could come up with more things on the list. These are just, again, some of the things that, that I that I believe we have most in common when we come to those moments in whatever relationship that we're in, that we're saying we're just not on the same page. We're going different directions. We're disconnected. Now, how do I fix that? How, how do I address that? If I recognize there's, that we're not on the same page because of our past, because of our expectations, because of our needs, because of our communication, what do I do? I want to give you some ways to start. This will get the ball rolling. I don't know that, that you could go through the list of things I'm going to share with you over the next few minutes and go, okay, check, 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 done. We're going to be on the same page from now on. I don't know that's going to work that way. But I think these are some things that all of us, 
all of us can improve on no matter what the status of our relationship. But especially for those who are looking at our marriage or our dating relationship and going, man, it's just, it feels complicated right now. And the reason it feels complicated is because I just don't think we're on the same page. And I want to get us on the same page. Here's where we can start. The first thing that I might need to do is I'm, I, I may need to clarify things. I may need to get a clearer picture of the things we just talked about. I may need to get a clearer picture of my past. I may need to clarify what my expectations really are. I may need to get a clearer picture of what I feel like my needs are and whether those things are being met or not. In Psalm 119, David says this. In verse 59, the whole Psalm 119 is is David writing a song about Scripture and about applying Scripture to his life. And he says in in verse 59, I have considered my ways and turned my steps to your statutes. And what's, what's... important to this this particular verse in our context this morning is recognizing that David took some time for some introspection. He took some time to look at himself, to evaluate himself. He says, I have considered my ways. I've taken the time to look at me and I've clarified some things for myself. I've gotten a clearer picture of who I am in response, in this context, in response to you, God. But I think the same principle can apply to us. When was the last time that I considered my ways? When was the last time that I took some time to think about why I do what I do? Why I handle certain situations the way I do? Why I react in certain situations the way I do? Why certain words come out of my mouth? And, and maybe why uh, words, certain words should come out of my mouth that I'm withholding? Whatever it is, just to take the time to, to be to be clear about who I am and and to be clear about how I'm approaching this relationship. And if I'm serious about this relationship, if I'm committed to this marriage, I need to know some things about myself. I need to recognize how big of an impact my past is making on my present. I I need to have a clear picture of what my expectations are and whether those are even realistic or not. I need to I need to pay attention to whether whether my expectations, my past are somehow, that I'm, I'm somehow putting some burdens on you that you weren't even aware that you needed to carry. I need to have a clearer picture of me. I may need to clarify some things about myself. And if I feel like we're not on the same page, I need to take some time to get a clearer picture of who I am and what I hope this relationship can be. Second thing I might need to do is I may need to use my words. I may need to use my words. Maybe I have a clear picture of who I am. Maybe I have a clear picture of what my expectations are. Maybe I have a clear picture of what my needs are. But have I shared those things with you? Have I taken the time to talk with you about those things? Have I, have I communicated with you? Have I even communicated with you that I don't think we're on the same page? You may be completely clueless. You may think everything's fine, and I'm over here thinking things are completely disconnected, but you won't know that unless I actually communicate that. Maybe I need to use my words. I need to recognize that you are not a mind reader. You may... You may know me well enough to, to know some of my habits and, and some of my tendencies, but it's not fair for me to be upset with you 
or to assume that we're just not on the same page when I've never communicated to you what page it is that I'm on and what my expectations are and what needs I feel like aren't being met. In the Old Testament, there's a book called the book of Nehemiah. And it's about a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the city of Jerusalem in a time after Jerusalem and, and basically God's people had been carried off into captivity. Their capital city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been knocked down. All the walls had been knocked down. It had just been obliterated. And God's people have been, had spent 70 years away from their homeland in captivity. And God allows someone to come back and start rebuilding the temple. And Nehemiah gets in his mind that he wants to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so he gets permission from the king of the Persian Empire. And he gets gets supplies and he heads all the way over hundreds of miles to the west and gets back to the city of Jerusalem. There's, There's people that are living there. There's some of the nobles that have returned back home that are in charge of rebuilding the temple and trying to reestablish God's people there in Israel once again. And Nehemiah shows up and he has this plan in mind. And he... He even goes out on, on horseback one night and just rides around and sees where all the, the wall is falling apart and broken down. And he, had, he, he knows in his mind, he can see what the walls are going to look like. And he knows what materials are going to need. And he knows who, how many people he's going to need for different projects. He's got the whole project in mind. And look what it says about Nehemiah in, in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 16. When he's going out and riding on his, on his horse and, and getting a picture of the whole landscape, he says, The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Nehemiah has this whole plan in mind. He even knows who's going to do the job. He hadn't told them yet. And he goes ahead, right, you know, if you keep reading the verses right after this, he sits him down and he tells him, this is, this is what I have in mind, this is what I prayed about, this is what, the direction that it seems like God is calling us. And all of them are like, okay, great, let's do it. But they didn't have that reaction before. Why? They didn't know they needed to. They didn't know that was the plan. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch. But I feel like this describes a lot of our relationships sometimes, a lot of our marriages. One person has in mind what this relationship should look like and what we should be doing and where our finance should be going and where we should go on vacation and how we should raise the kids and all these different things. And they have this whole picture in mind and they're frustrated that this other person I'm in this relationship with doesn't have the same picture in mind. Did you ever tell them? They can't know about the project if you don't tell them about the project. They can't know about your expectations and your goals and your fears unless you communicate those things. And if I'm not using my words, for some of us, that's not a problem. For some of us, it is. If I'm worried either about hurting your feelings or about about saying something that, that might upset you, or us even having a conflict or a disagreement, and that's keeping me from being open and honest with you, that's a problem. And that's going to keep us on different pages. We can't be on the same page in this relationship if I haven't told you what page I'm on. 
but I haven't shared with you what's on my heart, what my vision is for this connection. Maybe I need to shift my focus. I may need to, to, to just change my perspective. I need, to, I need to acknowledge what it is that I've been focusing on and, and maybe even change it. Maybe the reason that we're not on the same page is because I've only been focused on me and on my needs and on my wants. And maybe as I'm trying to clarify some things, maybe one of the questions that I need to ask myself is, what are your needs? What are your expectations? Maybe I need to use my words and actually ask those things of you. And then once I start to get a clearer picture, not just of myself, but of you and of your expectations and your goals and your visions for this relationship, then the next question I, I need to ask is, am I even making an effort to do those things for you, to fulfill those expectations for you, to help you meet those goals? Or has it been all about me? Is it just my wants and my needs and my desires and my goals and my expectations? Am I only focused on my past and how that's affecting this relationship? Am I only focused on, on my needs and not yours? And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he's talking to the church here, and, he, and, and as fellow Christians, he says we need to be looking out for each other, and we need to be looking for opportunities to meet each other's needs. But one clear thing that I want to point out to us here in verse 4, he acknowledges I, I have needs too, and I'm not diminishing those things. I'm not saying that I don't, have, I don't need to have my needs met, but I don't need to only focus on mine. You see the difference? I need to not just look out for my needs and what needs to happen in my life. I need to do that for you as well. Man, what a great formula for our marriages. What a great formula for a dating relationship. That I'm not just thinking about me. I'm paying attention to you. What are your needs? What are your values? What are your expectations? And if both of us are focused on the other person's needs and, and expectations and values, guess what happens? Both of us get our needs met. And maybe one of the reasons that we're not on the same page in this relationship is because I am only focused on the page that I want to look at. And I'm not paying attention to yours. So maybe I need to shift my focus. And the last thing I'll share with you this morning is that I may need to get back in step. I may need to get back in step. Not just with you in this relationship. Maybe the first place I need to start is getting back in step with my God. There's one thing that might help us get on the same page with each other. And that's when we choose to get on the same page with Him. And my relationship and my connection with God has a huge impact on my dating relationships. It has a huge impact on my marriage. And when, when this relationship between me and God is not where it should be, my other relationships aren't either. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists out what we call the fruits of the Spirit. 
These are the things that when you have the Spirit in your life, when you are connected with God and you uh, feel His presence in your life and you're going the direction that He's leading you, there's stuff that God produces through your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that people identify in you. Those are the things that you produce in the lives of other people. You show people love. You're patient with people. You're gentle and compassionate with people. You exercise some self-control and aren't hurtful to people. There's a lot of things that happen when you have the connection with God that you're supposed to have and you're in tune with his spirit. Now, if you look at those fruits in Galatians chapter 5 and you look at love and you look at joy and patience and all those different things, wouldn't your spouse, wouldn't the person that you're dating right now love to experience those things from you wouldn't they want you to be more loving even if you are a loving person to produce even more love in that relationship to be even more patient to exercise even more self-control how does that happen by me being in tune with and in step with God being in step with his spirit and that's why after Paul gives that list in Galatians chapter 5 If you look in verse 25, he says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe the reason that I'm not on the same page with this other person is because for whatever reason, I'm not on the same page with him anymore. And until I fix this this is never going to be as good as it could be. So maybe I need to clarify things. Maybe I need to use my words. Maybe I need to shift my focus. Or maybe maybe I just start by getting back in step with God's Spirit. This will get the ball rolling. This will move us in the right direction. And it's not an overnight fix. If I clarify things for myself, I shouldn't assume, oh, marriage, automatically better. Awesome. Doesn't necessarily happen that way. It's probably going to take time. It's going to take time to figure out what our needs are and how to get better at meeting those needs. If I've walked away from this relationship with God, it's going to take some time to get back to where it needs to be. But I believe we can get there. I believe there are marriages we can get on the same page. I don't think we have to walk away from them. If it's a dating relationship that I'm in and we're not on the same page, I may need to take an honest look at that and go, I wonder if that's even possible. And if it's not, it may be a relationship I need to walk away from. But I wanted to, I wanted to finish with this this morning. If you, if you go out in the parking lot right now, in our church parking lot, you'd see a blue Dodge Grand Caravan that my wife and I own. And it is probably, if not the least, at least one of the least favorite vehicles that we have ever owned. And we've had it for years. And the reason that it's just a thorn in our side, partially, is because of how it came to be in our possession in the first place. Because we had, we had a minivan that, that my wife will tell you, she dearly loved that van. 
I mean, she talks about how she raised our boys in that van. And it just had just the right bells and whistles, and it took care of us and took us all over the country. And it's, it was just a great vehicle. And the transmission started going out on it, and so we needed a new one. And I went all the way over to Tulsa, Oklahoma, because I found a deal on a minivan in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not brand new, but fairly close to brand new. And it had the bells and whistles that we wanted. It had, you know, just all the things that we felt like we could afford. And so I go over there. I drive over to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I look at it, and I test drive, and it's great. And I think this is the way we need to go. And this is two days before Thanksgiving. And we don't know at what point in this van that we used to own or, you know, owned at the time, when that transmission is going to completely go out. Because the light was on and it was flashing. It's just, it's a time bomb. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And so I call Christy and I say, I've found it. I've found us a deal. Bring the van over. So, so that evening, she drives over, you know, a little bit before closing time was when she gets to Tulsa. And she looks at it. She loves it. We got, they've, they've cleaned it up. They've washed it, all the stuff. It looks great. And so we go in to talk about the price. We go in to talk about the paperwork. And, you know, I'm not a very good haggler in the first place. But, you know, they, here's the price that they want to sell it for. And we need to be a little bit cheaper. And basically, we wanted to come down about $1,000 off of their price. And the guy wouldn't do it. And we're like, you can't just, I mean, it, you know, we're trying to even appeal to him. It's Thanksgiving. We've come all the way over from Rogers to Tulsa, you know, and he's just not coming down the price. And we're like, well, then give us more for our van. And he's like, on a van where the transmission is about to go out? No. And so he just, he wouldn't budge. He wouldn't come down just a little bit more money. Now, in a normal situation, we'd be like, well, thanks a lot. And we'd take off out the door. But we're all the way over in Tulsa. We've left our kids at home by themselves. Probably shouldn't have said that in public, but we did. Because we're going to drive home this new van. And I was like, okay, well, we'll make it happen. My wife was like, no, we are not buying that thing. He won't come down $1,000. We'll not buy that thing. We'll buy something $1,000 cheaper. And we went out in the parking lot and found basically the first one that we saw that was $1,000 cheaper than that van. Tess drove it around the parking lot and bought it. She and I were not on the same page <laughs> with that purchase. I felt like we could either risk it driving our transmission worrisome van back home, or it's an investment, let's pay the money. She wasn't having it. She was so mad at that salesman for not coming down off that price that she's like, I'll show him. I'll buy this thing over here. And he was probably thinking, great, because we had so many problems with that van over the years. The windows slipped down in the doors. I think it's happened at least three times now. Uh, you know, the door, the sliding doors have come off track more than once. Uh, the, the fin on the back, just kind of the, the aerodynamic little fin thing, blew off <laughs> one time when I was driving down the interstate. And when I brought it to the repair shop, you know, we, we have bought a, a warranty, and they're like, well, that's not covered by the warranty. I'm like, there's no way. Like, it blew off. He's like, well, do you have it? Well, no, it's somewhere... <laughs> On the internet, I didn't even know it was gone until I got home and like, oh, there's a hole there. I'm, I'm taking too long to share this with you. I'm sharing with you that we were not on the same page when it came to this van. And we have committed to not going, not making that mistake again when it comes to major purchases. But, but when it came to that 
minivan and buying that particular one, that was not the plan. It was not what I had in mind. That wasn't the goal. That wasn't the expectation. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And yet, that's where we found ourselves. And maybe, maybe that's where some of us are this morning. When we look at the marriage relationship that we're in, when we look at the dating relationship that we're in, there's some things, I mean, we're, we're taking an honest look at it, and we can honestly say, this was not the plan. This was not what I thought this was going to be. This is not how I had in my mind this relationship was going to work. But here we are. We've made it with that van. We've made the best of it. I say it's been just this awful thing. It's taken care of our family for years. You can make it. Wherever your marriage is right now, wherever that relationship is right now, no matter how distant you feel, no matter how much you feel like you're on a different page, no matter how much you say to yourself, this wasn't the plan, you can do something about it. God can do something with it. I want you to trust that. I want you to believe that. And if need be, let this church family help make that possible. We're going to stand together in just a second. We're going to sing a song. And while we're singing, if you, if you are looking at where you are in your relationship with this other person right now, and you're like, this was not the plan. Okay, let's start from here. And let's move forward. And if you want to come share with us, I'm needing help in this relationship that I'm in. We will surround you with love and prayer and as much help as we can give. And I would even say this, having nothing to do with a dating relationship or or a marriage relationship, if just your own relationship with God right now, if just your own status of life right now, if you're looking at, at where you are, and, and the choices that you're making, the people that you're with, and the, the guilt that you're feeling, the burdens that you're carrying, and you're thinking to yourself, this was not the plan. Okay, let's start from here. And let's move forward. My God is ready to forgive, to heal, to make new. And this church family can help if you'll let us. So if you have a need, let us know what it is. Come forward now. While together we stand and sing. Morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is strong and mighty.
Marshall, thank you for that lesson. Uh, also, thank you for this series. It's been an outstanding series, and I hope uh, each one of you have received a blessing from it. Uh, it's great to see everybody. Got a good crowd this morning, and uh, thank you for those that are online watching also. Uh, on the screen here and on your TVs, uh, be the way you can make your donation or make your offering to the church. Um, and while I'm on that, I just want to say thank you from the leadership. Um, this church family is just unbelie unbelievable in helping us meet our budget and meet our needs. And we just want to say thank you for that. If you will stand, we will have our closing prayer and uh, uh, one more song. Dear Father, we just come to you now. Just thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for this series that Marshalls has presented to us. Thank you for his ability to uh, give it to us in a way that we can uh, develop our marriages, our relationships, and uh, let us use that to the best of our abilities to, to uh, move stronger in those areas. Dear Father, we especially want to focus our relationship with you. Help us each day to grow closer to you through song, through prayer. And just thank you for that opportunity. Dear Father, let us uh, go out uh, here this morning knowing that we're better Christians and let, our, let your light shine through us throughout this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So Marshall wasn't kidding about his old van. Um, the day after Hurricane Katrina hit, we got a message from family down on the coast that they needed help. They needed gasoline, they needed chainsaws, they needed help. And we thought, well, how are we going to get all this stuff down? And so my father-in-law and I, uh, we borrowed Marshall and Christie's purple van. And we took out all of the seats except for the front two. And we loaded it down with the five gallons, I think we had 10 or 12 full of gas. So we were traveling, well, really, bomb, I guess. <laughs> so I thought, man, this is going to be a long trip because we're going to have to ride with the windows down because those fumes from that gas is going to be unbelievable. Well, we got there and I thought, you know what, I'm going to be the good son-in-law. I'm going to drive. And David just insisted, no, I'll drive. I'm like, no, I'll drive. No, I'll drive. Well, we got in and we took off down the road and something I did not know, you know what? 
So I got to smell fumes all the way down to South Louisiana. So thank you, David. He was telling the truth about the band. I saw the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on him are radiant. They'll never be ashamed. They'll never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me and saved me from my Yeah. 